Welcome to Consecrated, a podcast created to uplift the beauty and individuality of the religious vocation and that of the service of the different religious orders. Through interviews with religious brothers, fathers, and sisters, may we encounter the true light that penetrates true consecrated life. Welcome everyone to the Consecrated Podcast. Today we have Sister Mary Faustina from the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word. So let's begin with a Hail Mary, asking Mary to bless this time together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Sister Sister Mary Faustina, what is a fun fact about yourself? Oh, (laughs) Um, let's see. Well, I know how to change oil in a car. And I might be able to do a couple other things uh, in a pinch with a car because I worked for my dad and he's a mechanic. So he has his own automotive repair shop. And before I entered, you know, growing up and then kind of more officially for two years before I entered, I worked for him. So that's the fun fact that most readily comes to mind. That is neat. So if your order ever has car problems, they do, they know which sister to come and grab. <laughs> it's true. At the moment, that is one of my duties, um, <laughs> taking care of the vehicle. So it's come, it's, it's come to be a blessing. And then mother was just telling me the other day, she said, you need to teach like a lot of the sisters how to jump a car so that when we have a dead battery, if you're not there, other sisters know. So hopefully, you know, as it happens, you know, you share your different um, talents or gifts or know-hows with one another. So yes. See, when you, when you enter an order or if you become a religious, your gifts and talents and interests are not thrown out the window. They (laughs) will be used. They will be used. Yeah. And they, sh- they shouldn't be, I would say that if they are like, um, if there's a community where they stifle, <laughs> you know, uniformly the sisters gifts or talents or things like that. Um, that's not, that's not authentic, but generally what happens is you think, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And then you enter and it's like, oh no, sister, we, we want, we want your help in this area. And so we have a sister, she does she did computer programming or um, website design, computer programming and website design. And she thought, I'll never do it again. And she's in charge of our website and all the things we upload and whatnot. So it's It's, true. (laughs) Gifts are meant to be shared and they are given for a reason. That's right. So what brought you to the sister servants of the eternal word? Um, well, ultimately with, as with every sister and with everyone, um, and their vocation, it's God. Uh, but, but what he used to bring me, at least what, uh, is apparent to me as I look back on it would be my upbringing. You know, my parents, uh, grew up in a Catholic home. And so 
I was very blessed to see the witness of their marriage and that helped to teach me uh, what love looks like and what it's about. It's about something greater than just yourself. It's about giving yourself away. And so that prepared the, the, the ground, so to speak. And then, uh, after that, you know, I, I would say it was my my parish, uh, the support that I had there. They had a perpetual Eucharistic adoration. I had good friends, and and then also, you know, I had thought from a young age that maybe I was supposed to be a sister. And briefly after graduating high school for about a year, I checked it to the back of my brain. It's like I don't want to do that because uh, guys aren't so bad, and maybe I'd like to get married and have a family. And, but ultimately I I wasn't happy. And so what drew me was really God just calling me and giving me the grace. He was merciful enough to, to allow me to experience my unhappiness. And I had known about our community and I, I really liked that we took St. Francis and St. Dominic as our patrons. So I'd kept in touch with our community and I eventually reached out and visited and it went from there. Okay. Were there any other like communities that you considered or you visited um, before joining the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word? Yes. So I visited uh, the Missionaries of Charity, the Nashville Dominicans. I visited a community that's in Kentucky where I'm from. They had a nursing home just one town over from where I grew up. And then their mother house was about an hour north and I visited them, the Sisters of St. Joseph the Worker. And I think there was another community in Ohio that I visited. They were really new. And I don't know that they're still around. But So I, I guess that would be about five different communities that I visited. Were they by any chance the children of Mary in Ohio? No, they okay. weren't. They were called the Sisters of Reparation. I okay. Think. Yeah. Okay. So you ended up with the sister servants of the eternal word. Were there, what, what things kind of did you like in other communities, but didn't like, what was fulfilling about um, joining the sister servants of the eternal word for you? Sure. Um, I really liked the the joy and the witness of consecrated life in in the communities that I visited and I liked the the way that they lived a simple life that was just completely focused on God and that was that was really a profound uh aspect uh for me to witness you know going and being with them and I think some unique things about how my community lives that out that may have appealed to me would be, I really like the idea of teaching the faith and our community does that. So I I didn't feel called to be a teacher in a classroom teaching math or history or science, even though those are great subjects to teach. And it's always good to bring God into all of that. But I felt more drawn to, to teach specifically about God and the faith. And so our community does that. And then also uh, a lot of times we do it just by our witness. So we have a retreat house and people come and stay with us and they pray with us and we eat meals with them. 
but we don't give the retreats generally. We invite a priest in to do that. And so there was a simplicity and kind of a humbleness, kind of a littleness uh, that was manifested in that. And I appreciated that a lot. And we were just, um, we sister servant spits us well. We, we kind of are blessed to have inherited from our foundress an attitude of just serving where where it's needed. And I really appreciated that. And that was an example to me when I came and visited. And I thought, well, you know, I'm the oldest of seven kids. I kind of know what I was supposed to have been doing all that time, <laughs> which is serving. <laughs> so for all the times I didn't, you know, this would be somewhere where I could, I could try and continue to to live that out, that, that attitude of really serving as Christ came and served us. So service, I would guess, is probably a big part of the charism. It is. It really is. Yeah. And one of the ways that that might be more manifested would be in the liturgy. So we just really desire to serve the liturgy, whatever helps to show forth the the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God and how we're called to worship him as the church. We really want to serve that. And so even if we're at a youth conference or we're at a parish, if we're ever able to help in any way, like sing the music or prepare the altar or whatnot, we are always ready to do that. So there is a definite attitude of service and something that I saw my my superiors really live, which was really beautiful yes. formation. Yes, because if superiors aren't going to set that role model, aren't going to set that bar, you've just got a community that's just going to stray farther and farther away from what it was initially intended to be. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. So in your community, what kind of flavor? What quirkiness does it take um, to be really a successful member of your community? Oh, that's so funny. Um, Our foundress, she said, she said, there are no cookie cutter sister servants. (laughs) (laughs) And that must be true for every community, but I've only belonged to one, right? This one. So, (laughs) but uh, I, that is a really good question. I've never been asked that question before. I think we um we're very practical. Let's see, there's and there can be a quirkiness about that. We're just we we really cut through a lot of the unnecessary um things often when it comes to approaching something needs to be done or giving a presentation or a talk. We just really wish to arrive quickly uh, to the essentials. And uh, I, I see that in all my sisters we're, we're quick to, um, like I said before, serve, but we're also quick to just get to the point, even in our talks. And a lot of times that brings a sister to talking about the cross and the incarnation and how that's the source of all of the graces and the sacraments in the church, which is what we need uh, for salvation. And the other thing would be you really need need to be able to go with the flow (laughs) to be a sister servant um you just never know what's going to be happening so uh for example um we uh kind of hosted to a certain extent um 
a, a mass, an outdoor mass at the cemetery uh, that the bishop celebrated on All Souls Day. And it was really beautiful. But there the sisters at, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning. And we're, we've got chairs and we've got tables and we've figured out how to transport the altar. And we've got a plywood board that we're going to put out on the ground. And so there's 15 sisters in the cemetery that morning <laughs> as the sun's coming up. And just you just need to be able to go with the flow. One of the sisters said, because there were three masses that day and we got home and we hit the ground running and <laughs> one of the sisters said, cause we always eat in common, you know, but that day it was just, there was so much going on. And one of the sisters said, basically this day is, um, do what you need <laughs> to make it through the day. Like, go get a banana, <laughs> you know, go take five minutes <laughs> and be ready for the next thing. So I, that is very much our life. Um, and that that is that could be definitely a, a quirk <laughs> about being a sister servant. It's it's I'm sure it brings a lot though to the all the things that you guys are then able to do. Um I'm sure it brings out lots of opportunities for different kinds of service. It does. No, it really does. And there, a lot of the sisters are creative, really creative. So we have a sister who she uh, loves to serve the community and the people that come to our retreat house by making really beautiful things. So for Christmas, she's you'll see her carrying around cardboard and styrofoam and uh, all different sorts of peculiar things. And then on Christmas, you'll see this really beautiful um, display or decoration that she's made for Our Lady's altar or St. Joseph. And um, that's just one example. You know, we have sisters that um, do crafts with the kids that come here and she comes up with really neat things. And so it's, it's beautiful. It really yeah. is beautiful. Do you have a favorite hobby? Are you crafty? Are you musically inclined? You, I know you've got your automotive. Um... <laughs> yes. Well, I really enjoy, I do really enjoy being outside. I, uh, I currently help with taking care of our ground. So I kind of get to be outside during some of my duty time. So if I'm not outside, I probably would, it would be reading. I really like reading. So like hiking, playing sports, and then reading. I do play the guitar. I play like six chords. Maybe it's not it's not great, but I am trying to work on that. So maybe next time I, if I ever get to chat with you again, I'll be able to say it's the guitar, but right now it's not. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So how, speaking of creative, how are your religious names decided? How, how do they get placed? Right. So we have anywhere from a year to two year postulancy. Usually it's a year, but it can be longer. And at the end of postulancy, you're not yet a member of the community during that time. So at the end of it, you write a letter asking permission, if you think it's God's will, uh, to be admitted into the novitiate. And that's when uh, in our community, you receive the religious habit and the religious name, your new religious name. So in that letter, you can put down, and you're encouraged to do so, three names, and we actually take titles also, and three titles 
that you might like to have. So generally you generally the one of the sisters are gonna get one of those names. I, I think right now there's only two of us. No, there's three of us who didn't get a name that we put down. One was because she didn't put any name down and she said, Mother, just I don't know, just name me. And then the other one, uh, she put three names down, but not the name she really wanted because she thought I won't get it because it was a form of Francis. It was Francesca and St. Francis is one of our patrons. And so she's like, I'm not going to get it. I just won't even put it down. And she got that that name. She hadn't told mother, but she got that name and then myself. So even though I put down three names and I really liked the, the names, uh, when I received the habit, I was very surprised I didn't get any of those names, but that's how it's decided. Uh, So it's a beautiful thing because the sister gets to pray and and contribute her thoughts on it. But ultimately the superior is the one praying and deciding and you trust, you know, that God works through that. And that's, that's the saint. That's the patron you're supposed to have. Yes. It's very, it's such a, um, such a humble a humble trust that comes with that just trusting that you will be given the name that the Lord has decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And, and surrendering to that and embracing it. Yeah. And it's beautiful to see because after a sister gets her religious name, she it's neat to hear a little bit from her, how she comes to know that, that patron better, that saint better. And so that that's really neat. And then when you're around those sisters, you know, you know, any of your sisters, you know that their patron saints are present too. So we have a sister, Mary Michael. And uh, sometimes I'll just think, oh, wow, like St. Michael, you know, he's here. <laughs> and that's yes. Neat. yes. So when you receive your habit, what what does it look like? What is the significance of the colors and what you wear for your habit? Yes. So our, our founders had been a Nashville Dominican. So our habit before she started our community, so our habit actually looks very uh, much like the Dominican habit, but like the Nashville Dominican habit. So we have a white tunic. I don't know if you can kind of see like my white tunic and it goes, it's about ankle length. And then we have a scapular um, here that we that we put on, and it's brown instead of white. So to make it have a white scapular, we have a brown one. And then there's the cape, and we wear a crucifix. So that is different, um, but our founders added that. She wanted us to always remember uh, who our, our spouse is. You know, he's a, the crucified and risen one. And then we have a brown veil instead of a a black one. Mine's kind of dark, so it might be hard to tell, but it's brown. Let's see. Oh, maybe something that's pretty unique to us is we have a cincture from the Franciscan tradition, and it has the three knots in it that remind us of the three vows that we take. But then hanging on the cincture on the left side, we have a 15 decade rosary. And so that's from the Dominican tradition. So our habit really does reflect that we take both St. Francis and St. Dominic as our patrons. 
so it'll be, it's interesting. People sometimes think we're Carmelites, but as often, especially if they're practicing Catholics, when we say, oh, well, it's actually where we take St. Francis and St. Dominic for patients. They're like, oh, I get it. That's why you have brown and white and the cincture and the rosary. Yeah, that's interesting. And I noticed that your scapular isn't one that people would typically think of because like people tend to wear like these smaller scapulars um, for lay people, but yours is, yours is a whole garment. It is. And so it, it used to be that the scapular uh, was always that, that, that large, that way it actually goes across the shoulders. So it's front and back and it comes from, I think it's Latin scapulae is the word, which means it's, well, it's like the, it's one of the bones in your shoulders up here. Okay. And so it lays across your shoulders. And so for instance, when our lady appeared to St. Simon Stock and gave him the brown scapular, he was in the Carmelite order. Um, and she gave that to him. It was a sign of her protection, right? And so the laity over the years wouldn't wear the large scapular, but began to wear the smaller scapulars. So a lot of communities will have scapulars, but it's true. They don't, they're not necessarily the brown scapular and they're larger, they're a larger portion or piece of the habit. Okay. And I know you had also talked with your habit, your cincture with the three knots for the three vows. What are those vows? We take uh, the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Okay. So those, um, it sounds like those tend to be the vows that are taken for just about any order um, that you enter. Those are uh, the basis vows, right? Right. And they're... I, I know of the um, the men's Dominican community, so the Dominican friars, if I'm recalling this correctly, we had our chaplain, one of our chaplains was a Dominican priest, and they actually just take the vow of obedience, um, but assumed under the vow of obedience is a life of chastity, celibacy, and poverty, but most women's communities as as far as i'm aware take and ex, you know explicitly name the three evangelical vows of chastity poverty and obedience and then sometimes a community will add a fourth vow there's different communities that may do that but we just take the three evangelical vows okay so being a sister servant of the eternal word what what does your day-to-day look like? Like if you were to lay out a schedule of your day, what would that look like? We rise uh, at 5.30, six days out of the week. On Sunday, we rise an hour later, which is nice. But um, we rise at 5.30 and we have a holy hour in common. So we all come together and we say our morning offering and then our superior has permission to open the tabernacle door and we're able to make a holy hour together in silence. And at the end of the holy hour, still with um, the tabernacle door open so we can see Jesus, we chant office of readings and morning prayer. So that's how we begin our day. And then unless it's 
the feast day or the day that a, a retreat starts, a weekend retreat where people come, we have silence mornings. So our mornings, we have reading at the table for breakfast. So we're not talking, but we're listening to a book uh, or a retreat CD. And then throughout the morning, we do our best to maintain a spirit of silence. So obviously it could happen in the kitchen. You need to tell sister the potatoes are boiling over. That's absolutely fine. But we do try and keep a spirit of silence because we wish to give that time over to a very intentional communion with God, really being mindful of him and conversing with him, which doesn't always mean words, but just being in his presence and striving to be aware of his presence. And so in the morning, uh, during that time of silence, we'll have our duties. Uh, the Those in formation will have classes. We'll have a period of study. Even those in perpetual formation have a period of study. And so then we come together for daytime prayer and rosary. We do the joyful mysteries and followed by mass. And so after mass with the beginning of lunch, we're talking. <laughs> and so our afternoon is a talking afternoon. And so after lunch, uh, there's each sister is to do spiritual reading for at least 15 minutes to half an hour. And then she goes about her duties, the things that she's assigned to. And sometimes uh, that'll just be in-house, you know, the laundry, the cooking, the gardening, the uh, office work that needs to be done, the cleaning. But also sometimes sisters will be going out because they might have classes that they teach once a week at a school or a parish that they help with. Uh, or there could be a talk that someone is going to be giving. So you'll have sisters kind of coming and going to for different apostolic reasons throughout the week. And then we all come back together uh, 5.15 for Vespers, that's evening prayer, and our second rosary of the day, which is the Sorrowful Mysteries. And then we have supper. And supper again, and we have reading at the table. And after supper and after dishes are done, we recreate together or we have choir practice. And then on Tuesdays, it's choir practice night. So that's what, that's what we'll be doing today since we're recording this on a Tuesday. But for recreation, we'll just do different things. We'll play games. Uh, somebody gave us a ping pong table about five years ago. That's, that's been fun. It is fun. It is fun. And uh, we have sisters to do crafts. Sometimes sisters will bring down mending. Uh, and we just visit with one another. And so that usually is about 40 minutes. Do you and have then, a favorite thing that um, to do at recreation? Oh, uh, I really like the game Taboo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not great at it, but I really enjoy it. I'm just always laughing. I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, board games are, board games are a lot of fun, especially I'm sure you've got all kinds of... Um, laughter and fun fun loving sisters we do play board we games have, with <laughs> we do we also have some competitive a lot of us are competitive <laughs> actually so we've even had to you know kind of like stop and take a deep breath and say this is a game <laughs> you're my sister not my enemy <laughs> it's okay if I lose this game <laughs> so but it's fun it is fun and then after recreation, we come back together uh, for Compline, that's night prayer, and our third rosary, which are the, the glorious mysteries. And so after that, we have we have time of silence. So you can do different things. It's usually about 8.30, and we retire at 9.30, or 
Yes, that's when we go to our cells, our rooms. So you have about an hour where you might be catching up on something or reading or go to bed early and it's light out at 10. Okay, so what do those cells typically like look like? What do your cells um, consist of? Uh, we we're very blessed. We we have um we have a desk. So someone donated all the furniture in our convent. Uh, wow! Thank you. Was so kind. So we have a desk and a chair, um, and we have a bed and we have a bureau. Each sister has like a dresser, and we actually have a nightstand with a um a lamp on it next to the bed, and so it's. It's really, yes, we're very blessed. Uh, and usually it's just one sister to a cell. We do have some cells that uh, have two beds in them and they're larger. Uh, and so you could have two dressers in there also if you needed. But as of right now, we don't need to double up. And the ideal is that the cell is a place where you can retire and be alone with God. And so, you know, for as long as we're able to, we'll have just one sister in each cell. And then hopefully as God grows us, we'll get to the point where, where we have to share for a while. So, but that's basically what they look like. And they're pretty simple. Like we don't have, but each cell has a tile. Um, I don't know. I can't see what my screen looks like, but you might be able to see that there's a tile behind me. Like, yes. Okay. So a lot of our rooms have these tiles in them and actually every cell does too. So, but other than that, it's very simple. You know, um, you do have a bookcase for books. Yeah. Yes. But as you grow, God will continue to provide because he has shown that he is, he is ready to provide for you. Right. It's true. It's good to remember that. So the, um, the community's prayer life of the sister servants of the eternal word. How did that fit with what you were really looking for in a community? You know, um, I don't know that I really had an expectation of what the prayer life of the community. I, I knew a little bit because I had visited us several times but actually, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, it was a little intimidating to me because we do, we do say three rosaries in common, um, unless sometimes there'll be, there'll be dispensations of a sister is taking a class and has work that she needs to do. But the community comes together for three rosaries a day. Um, and that was hard for me <laughs> when I first <laughs> entered. That was not easy. And I still I still have a hard time with it sometimes. But I think it it's so I'm gonna just rephrase your question a little, forgive me. What I would say is that in hindsight, how is the prayer life in my community beneficial for me, even if I wasn't looking for that? It would be that it really grounds me. It really roots me because no matter what I'm doing whether work inside the convent or work outside the convent, it has to come from a place of prayer and a place of communion with God. If I am not receiving from God his love and returning that to him, then everything else I'm doing um, 
is going to be affected and not in a little way, in a big way. And so having to come back to the chapel, you know, four times throughout the day, just stopping what you're doing and going to the chapel in the presence of our Lord, that's very good for me because that reminds me of who I am. You know, I'm a creature utterly dependent on him and I'm his bride before I'm anything else. So it really is the source of any fruitfulness that yeah. comes from my consecrated life. Amen. Do, but do you have, um, looking at that, do you have a favorite time that you, do you have a favorite form of prayer that you guys come together for, or is, are you more of a personal prayer, um, kind of, do you favor personal prayer? I really love coming together as a community for prayer. So I, I would say my, my favorite hour of prayer would probably be, um, It'd probably be the morning because I, I actually have a blend because I'm there with my community, but we have a holy hour in silence. And so I do have that time that's really rather personal. It's personal prayer before our Lord. But then from that, we go into the liturgy, the hours, you know, the prayer of the church as a community and we chant it. So I'd say morning prayer. Um, our time in the morning is my favorite and it's that blend. Yes. I, I love listening to orders chant their hours. It is it is something every, not only every Catholic, but every person should experience an order chanting the hours because it is so beautiful. It is beautiful. It is. And we, we have a very simple chant. Like it's just, it's pretty much on the same pitch. And then we just go down on the second line and uh, people still think it's beautiful. And I think it's because whenever you hear religious or priests, I mean, anyone really, even the laity that <laughs> chant the divine office, it's beautiful um, because we are consecrated to God for worship. Um, every baptized Christian is, and that consecration is deepened in the souls of uh, priests and religious. So you know, it's really the Holy Spirit that's praying and using our voices. You know, we're praying with him. Yes. So here we come to the big question. What, why was the sister servants of the eternal word established? What was their beginning mission? And has it changed at all since that beginning mission? Yes, that is a really good question. You have good questions. <laughs> so our community, yes, I can say yes to both of those questions. So our community, or I can tell you why and, and how it has changed some. So our community was started by Mother Mary Gabriel, and she was a Nashville Dominican, and she was working in Birmingham. She'd been assigned to to teach and be principal at a school in Birmingham that the Dominican sisters had. And around the same time, Mother Angelica, who was a poor Claire, and she moved from Ohio down to Birmingham, had started a monastery of poor Claire nuns and wanted to and had started up EWTN, a Catholic television network. And so 
Mother Angelica and Sister Mary Gabriel became friends. They just knew each other. They were in the same city. And Mother uh, Sister Mary Gabriel at the time was reassigned. She was sent to Tennessee. She was doing work there in a school. But Mother Angelica uh, had some ideas. <laughs> she was a person of big ideas. And so she called the superior at Nashville and said, I know Sister Mary Gabriel, and I think she can help me with this project that I have in mind. And um, so the long story made short is that Sister Mary Gabriel was assigned to help Mother Angelica by her superior in Nashville. So her her Dominican superior said, yes, I want you to go help Mother Angelica. And that project that Mother Angelica had in mind, it actually didn't work out. It wasn't God's will. But um, Sister Mary Gabriel was assigned for the whole year. So she helped her in different ways. And so through that period of time, they both were thinking of a community that could help serve the network, the needs of the network, the hospitality, you know, people coming in and being guests on the network, who's going to take care of them, uh, pick them up, make sure that they have what they need, uh, make sure that the shows on the network were orthodox, answering people's questions and things like that. And so uh, Mother Angelica uh, and the superior in Nashville encouraged Sister Mary Gable pray about starting a community that would help with this. And so she did. She prayed about it and she felt called to be obedient to their invitation. And so she started our community in 1987 and she took St. Francis and St. Dominic as our patrons. And so there was this idea of really serving, um, which is we, we've already touched on. And uh, maybe within a couple of years, maybe even less, it became evident that the sisters weren't going to really be needed serving in that way at the network. Mother Angelica had, it was growing a lot. Um, she had friars. She had a lot of lay people. There were more and more Catholics coming in. And so when they saw that there was not that need, sis, uh, Mother Mary Gabriel, she spoke to the bishop and she said, you know, it doesn't look like we're needed there, but I still think that God might be calling us to exist. And I would like to serve the church and help share the faith. And perhaps we are called to do retreat work and teaching the faith. And the bishop said, yes. And he, um, he made that official, you know, like in a document, <laughs> he said, this is, this is the apostolate of the sister servants. And so we moved down the road from EWTN and we started building our retreat house and it opened in the mid nineties. And we started uh, doing hosting retreats and we've been really blessed um, all these years later to have and enjoy uh, and really it's a beautiful thing. Have a relationship with the poor Claire nuns in Hansville. They moved up there and the friars at EWTN. So uh, while we're not technically part of EWTN, our histories are intertwined and uh, you know, that's how God wanted to bring it about. <laughs> so he it was it was a journey, but it's been a beautiful one. Yes. So that's kind of a short, a short version. <laughs> yeah, it shows it's another one of those, um, like you talked about earlier, um, you need to be able to go with the flow. You need to be able to um, just lay down what you have in mind and look instead and say, okay, God, now what do you have in mind? Right. Exactly. And that's true. It takes a lot of faith. It does. Yes. Yes. So wrapping up, what kind of advice 
would you give to someone who might be discerning not only um, the sister servants of the eternal word, but discernment in general? So first and foremost, uh, it's about our relationship with God. You know, it's a, it's even before that, it's about God's love for us, which when we accept that it is, it, it, it flowers into this relationship. God's always loved us um, since even before creating us. And so when we receive that um, and we become united with him more and more closely in that relationship, then really and truly he is going to lead us and he is going to guide us. So my first point of advice generally is really taking the time. And that doesn't mean you aren't making concrete steps. I don't want, I'm not advocating for perpetual discernment at all, but just really making sure, am I discerning from a, a belief and, and so to speak, a place of, of love and of freedom, because that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to have undue anxiety about where he's calling us to. So first and foremost, it's about coming to trust that he is our father and that he loves us and that anything that he asks us to do is for our good. So no matter what your vocation is, it once he reveals that to you, if you really believe that he's your father and he loves you, you're going to say yes. So it doesn't... it. It is important what he's calling you to, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that he's calling you and he's calling you into a deeper relationship with him. And that's going to happen through this vocation that he's prepared you for. So I like to give the example, you know, if a perfect stranger comes up to you and says, um, you know, this is the best way to get to Walmart you know, I know that it looks like a bad part of town, but you're going to want to take, you know, a left and then a right and then go straight for a mile and you'll find it. it's actually the best way. I'm probably not going to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, pull out the iPhone that we have for trips <laughs> that we take when we trip, and I'm going to Google, I'm going to use the maps and I'm going to find the best route, right? Um, especially if I've only spoken to him for 10 seconds, right? And it looks shady. <laughs> I'm just not going to. But if my dad says to me, oh, sister, yes, I've been this way. You can go that way. It does look a little rough, but actually I know it's perfectly safe. I'm going to go because it's my dad, you know? And so you could just really consider, you know, do I have that kind of relationship and trust with God that no matter what he says, you know, even if he's telling me something, it sounds a little scary. <laughs> um, do I, do I trust him? Um, so that's where I, I would start. And that's kind of like the context that we want to be discerning in. Yes, because God's desire is never for our suffering never for our pain it's always for out of love it's always yeah. seeking for and though we might go through suffering or he might even allow that suffering that brings us it'll always bring us closer to that love that he has for us that's right 
Yes, that's beautifully put. Um, it's true. And, and also, you know, that may not be as evident to everyone. Um, they may have a hard time understanding that or believing that. And, and in that instance, I would encourage just a very frank conversation with God, (laughs) just to start there, you know, to tell him how you feel about that, that you don't trust him, that, uh, maybe you feel like he's let you down in the past and that, um, you just, you're really scared and you don't know how to start, uh, believing in him. And an honest prayer like that is a beautiful thing. That's a, God wants to hear, um, us express our, our, our concerns and our desires and our fears, because that's when we begin to let him in. So you really can't scandalize God. So even if, uh, you're not quite ready to trust him, uh, you are, you are ready to talk to him because there's really yes. nothing you can say, um, that he's going to reject or, or not want to hear because he wants to hear from you, you know? Yes. Well, thank you so much, sister, for being willing to have an interview. Thank you for joining us. Yes, it's been a joy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining today's episode. Be sure to share what you have found with others. If you would like to donate or discover more about the featured religious order, check out the show notes for a link to their website. I hope that you will join us for the next episode, which will be released in two weeks.